0: So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. And my name is Mark. And I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. And one of the ways I do that is by letting you listen in on a conversation between two people who have a passion for excellence in the entrepreneurial world in some way. And they're talking about a subject that you already know something about, but this time we're going deeper. We're really giving you the nuts and bolts so you can start to figure out where you're a little off and so you can start to make sense of this discipline so you can break through the ceiling and really get what you want from your business and ultimately your life. And so my guests today, I'm excited. I'm excited about all my guests, but this particular topic is one that, that's come up a lot. And uh, And so Scott Kelly is a, is a friend of mine, but more importantly, in this case, he's the president of Encore Search Partners, a specialized recruiting and executive search firm. And he is the not just the president, he is the integrator. Uh, and, and he has helped turn ESP to be one of the fastest growing recruitment firms in Houston, And he also uh, mentors a lot of professionals from various fields in Houston. And he is a a member of several groups to uh, around business that are focused on business development, entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurship and business strategy so i'm excited to bring uh scott into the conversation because we can really contrast your role as integrator and uh the role of the visionary you work with uh jeremy jensen who's been on the podcast in the past so we get to see the yin and the yang so welcome scott thank you mark so what is going on in the world of the integrator at encore search partners today um
1: Man, there's a lot going on, honestly. Uh, we're actually prepping for our quarterly off-site uh, coming up this Friday, and so uh, I've got a lot of different things going. I'm running in a thousand different directions right now, from accounting and finance, to sales reporting, to employee satisfaction and engagement, uh, doing all kinds of stuff right now.
0: So for context, you, your quarterly offsite, you, you're running on EOS. So the Correct. EOS uh, system is what you run on that informs the agenda and the focus of what you're going to do in your quarterly offsite. You self-implement. You have, you've you read the book. You implemented the tools. And you guys have managed to make magic with it. Um, tell us a little bit about that. So, kind of end, you know, working backwards. Well, you guys are really, truly one of the fastest-growing uh, companies in Houston, right. enjoying a awful a lot of success. Uh, and I hear you guys attribute a lot of that to EOS. So, wh- what has that been? What has that journey been like for you?
1: Absolutely. So, really, the journey for me has been. Uh, it's been an interesting one because we kind of went from a not so quote unquote, right, not so real company to a very real company. And and so EOS helped us define what that looks like. It helped us really say uh, who we are, what we stand for, uh, what we want to be known for, uh, and then what type of talent we want to attract to the organization in order for us to achieve those goals. Uh, and so when we put pen to paper back in 2017 when we first started rolling out EOS, uh, that was a a big kind of aha moment for us Where we realized, okay, this is how we want to be different This is what we're going to do And then we started putting those goals Or, or rocks in place In order for us to achieve those And so it's been a, a wild journey um, There's been many times where the boat seemed to go off course And, you know, life happens And, you uh, the economy happens and industries change and policies change and things like that and so we had to be nimble and adapt very quickly um but eos allowed us to do that and you know i've i've talked to several people that have implemented whether it's self-implementation or with an actual implementer uh, eos and those are the businesses that are still not just surviving but actually thriving right now in 2020
0: So I I can point to stories all day long about how EOS has really helped uh, companies um, get get a sense of of direction, feeling a lot of uncertainty. It's really powerful for that. And Jeremy and I had a conversation to some extent around that. But I really want to go through this. back to that process through the lens of the integrator where the visionary is excited about the opportunity and wants to take a bigger and bigger bite of the future and can often be terrified of the of uh, equally about potential bad outcomes very emotional creature uh your job is to kind of somewhat be skeptical overall and and be conservative if you're going to make a plan change Uh, and make sure that the plan you have is one you can execute and follow through on. Just for context, so what does that really look like? When you're working with your integrator, how are you processing the vision and turning this into action?
1: Sure. So when I came into the business, right, this was four years ago when I first joined Encore Search Partners, and I joined as the vice president, uh, just really kind of learning the recruiting industry. I came from managed IT services and a a litany of uh, retail background before that. Um, and when I came into the business, I really didn't know a whole lot about recruiting. I couldn't even spell it, right? Um, it, and <laughs> exactly C. Oh, uh, so So for me, you know, I, I spent the first basically six months just learning the business. and then the next six months, I started you know, putting these thoughts together around, okay, now I know what we do, how we do it, I know why we're great. You know, let's go from accidentally making money to being incredibly intentional about making money. And that's where I pulled in EOS and the tools that I had uh, learned about from from reading Gino Whitman's book. And I was like, okay, let's do our first executive offsite session and let's talk about our business, right? It was myself, Jeremy, and our executive vice president over our um, ESP financial group. Uh, We sat down at Jeremy's dining room table, um, and the three of us put our heads together and said, okay, what are we going to do? What do we stand for, right? And there was a major fear um, when we were putting these things down because we'd never had core values before. And so, you know, I started dredging that out of Jeremy and saying, okay, you're the entrepreneur. You are the founder, creator of this business. What do you stand for? What's a no-go for you? If someone does this, it's a terminable offense. What does that mean, right? And so we started writing those things down. And then right when we got to the last core value, we all kind of looked at each other and said, this is great. This is this is who we are. This is what we stand for. Um, but then when we started looking around at our, our team <laughs> and the people on our team were like, <laughs> uh, that person doesn't stand for this. This person doesn't stand. It's like, man, we've got three or four people here that, Uh, literally violate our core values that didn't exist until right now and and okay
0: so I want to slow this down because you are on so much gold this is the kind of thing that I don't want people to step over and gloss over because I've experienced this in, in a big way the first thing you're describing is that when you get the core values right they are deal breakers yep they are absolute deal-breakers. Uh, and, 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 if, and if they don't feel like deal-breakers, you might not be talking about core values. You might be talking about some other form of value, an aspirational value, a permission-to-play value, or, or an accidental value, or something that's not really core. Yep. And so once you mind that out, then this is where I think that I want to kind of call out the integrator side of this. Because what I see is the visionary in your seat says, these are the core values and you look out into that audience and you see people and they go oh, I say audience the, the employees the staff sure. and you go like not everybody really displays that but they will right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we just keep trying and the visionaries typically classically are, are not that great at saying today's the last day of, of, of tolerating lack of core values and the integrators are typically the ones that say like are we serious or are we not serious because right. if we're serious there's a path yeah. and the path means the people are, who are not displaying the core values are out yeah is that, is that how, you, I don't want to script this and put this in your mouth, is that how it played out for you?
1: hundred percent, you know, and, and that was really one of the things that's like, okay, this guy makes us a lot of money, right? And we're we're a recruiting firm, so we're in a sales organization, right? Everyone is a, a revenue generator for our business. We have very minimal, at the time, had very minimal minimal overhead from an operation standpoint. And so uh, when I'm looking at the team and it's like, okay, this person isn't, okay, if I take away that person, well, let's say we're going to lose, you know, four hundred five hundred thousand dollars in revenue for our business by removing that person from the team and we we had these tough conversations like okay well but it's him but it's him you know he's been here for a long time like he'll he'll, he'll figure it out you know he he's been good he could be great again you know all those things and so we kept having these conversations and conversations and finally I had to be the bad guy and just say look this is what we're saying Okay, If we want to recruit in better people, we can't have them walk through our hallways and see that we accept mediocrity. And so if we say we stand for this, we have to stand for this. And then within six months of implementing EOS, we turned over three of our top four billers from the previous year. And so all this revenue from these people disappeared. And what happened? Our overall revenue for the business skyrocketed by getting really? getting those cancers off the team.
0: Okay, so that's so the, I I love the getting passionate about like when you've got those overproducers who are non-core value fits. You got to get them out there they're they're cancerous. But the problem was when I when I get passionate about that is that every form of non-fit looks different in every organization. Right. So spe- the spe- making that believable in the, in the mind of the listeners is difficult. So did you have trouble believing that when when, how did you make the case that like look I know they're producing but the rest of the organization is totally under the weight of their cancer and if I can get these three people out everybody else will rise up by 20% which will be like 10,000 percent more productive because the entire organization were you able to articulate or how did you sell
1: it I wasn't actually (laughs) it was uh, very much Jeremy trust me right it was like let's jump off the deep end together I'm going in first and let's do this together Together. And it was funny, the next meeting that we had, because we do our, our level 10 meeting the next next Monday, and I stood up in front of the whole company and we talked about it, right? And then I said, let me, let's me let do an exercise real quick. So I took those big uh, post-it note, sticky post-it notes, put them on three different ones on the wall, broke the company up into three different teams, all different layers of people that have different tenures, new employees, very entry-level cool callers to with the EVP in one of the groups put everyone in these groups, separated them out across the room and said, okay, I want you guys to write down the pros of having this turnover and the cons of having this turnover and had everyone list all their excitements about it and their fears. And then we got back together, a team leader from each group read their pros and cons, and we talked about each and every one of them. And so just addressed all of that with the entire group and said, okay, well, here's why we made the change we made. Right? We told you guys that we're going to adhere to these core values. This is our mission and vision. This is what we're trying to accomplish as an organization. This is how everybody fits in on the uh, organizational chart or accountability chart. This is your seats. And here's how we're going to get there. Right, And everyone was like, yeah, that's great. And then we just started seeing an uptick in revenue, uptick in revenue. And we started going up marketing, getting bigger and better deals. And the people that were getting the house leads, so to speak, we're even more and more grateful for the that opportunity that they were going down swinging on deals that maybe they wouldn't have in the past and it's like you you showed us that you care about us enough to make sure that we have all the tools resources and the right people on the team i'm going to have your back now and so that's that's really what happened and we were able to start recruiting in some really really good talent because we started getting more and more fees and changed our recruiting practices for us internally and it, it and it really made a huge difference just not accepting mediocrity
0: do you have a sense because like houston texans just fired their coach sure <laughs> after four games an know and for a start yeah. and uh we've been playing for two games at the best we've played yeah. all season uh and so that's not uncommon it's the there's something that happens to a culture when something major happens like that yeah. do you have a sense of and i guess it doesn't really matter in the end maybe and maybe that, the point is that uh, so let First of all, the question is: How much of that do you think was right? People on the boat, uh, on the bus, uh, and how much of that was shock to the system, and and how much of that do you even care? It does, just that when you when you trim well, does it? Did it? It just makes good positive impact.
1: You know, I think that it was kind of the shock to the system. Honestly, you know, I think that people. Believe that when you generate X, X amount of revenue for our firm, that you kind of get to be the peacock, have the big ego, and walk around in very puffy chest and do whatever you want. And that was kind of the culture before, right? But EOS doesn't allow that, right? The thing that I love about EOS is, is that it trains us to keep our foot on the gas
0: and well i will stop you there because e- eos doesn't do anything you sure. got to do it the t- the t- the tool makes it obvious yeah. whether you are accepting that or not but the leadership has to look at the data and say I'm going to accept this. I'm not going to accept this. So you guys got to own you in particular, Scott. Need to own the fact that you, the data came back to you, and you owned it. Sure. So that's on you for, in a good, good way to step up. Sure.
1: And 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 so I would say that the shock to the system really was a big thing there. But uh, and then the accountability that came with it, right? And and the expectations of okay. We as an organization have to replace this revenue. Where is it going to come from? And we saw people that were historically mid-tier billers become top-tier revenue generators for us.
0: So I am kind of hearing that is the shock to the system was coincidentally that you got the non-core value fits Mm -hmm. out of there. That creates a shock to the system, and now you've got the opera. You are going to react to that, and you are going to react to that in into the vision that you created. So you almost just want to create this vision. Uh, that is like where do we want to go and then you want to shock the system some way to get everybody to kind of mobilize and feel like you got to make a change and what's the change going to be might as well be this vision we just wrote (laughs) and so uh, and then when you if if you're doing that in a pruning capacity you you might as well prune the people who are part of the past and not a part of the future so I'm, I'm pain it's interesting thing to kind of think this through about it is it does it matter exactly that they were the wrong core core value fits and does it matters less that Oh, well I don't know what I'm saying at this point I hope that the gestalt of this is coming through for people to see that like you should get the people out the shock is not a bad thing it's a good thing uh, the fear of cutting what your best performers uh, is actually one of the reasons you might want to do it because it's going to mobilize people and it's a great time to do that if you've got a good clear vision that excites you as a visionary if you've got the core values and you've got a path that's cool for you uh, people are going to mobilize somewhere because of the shock to the system and uh, and they're probably going to go to that vision that you're going to make it really easy for them to see.
1: You know, I, I agree, and I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you mentioned the NFL. Right? People always just know in sports in general, but in the NFL in particular, next man up, next man up, next man up. Right? You can't get comfortable in your seat because it could be gone tomorrow. Doesn't matter if you're JJ Watt. You know, ten years in the league. You know, hundred sacks or ninety nine sacks in his career thus far. Uh, he could be replaced tomorrow if he doesn't get off the line as fast as the guy behind him, right? And so uh, the unfortunate thing about business, just like when people say the NFL, it's the business side of the NFL, it's the business side of our business is the people that got <laughs> us to where we are today may not be the people that are going to get us where we want to be tomorrow. And it sounds harsh and it sounds cruel and it makes people feel like they're replaceable and it makes people feel like they're not valued, but it's not true. Like we're grateful for the people that are on the team and we're grateful for everything that they've done. Right, I, I have a, uh, a team of people that have worked here in the last four years that I've been here that I'm grateful for every single dollar they brought into this business because it got us to where we are today, to where we're able to not only, once again, like I said, survive this pandemic, but actually thrive. And we're going to do more revenue this year than we did last year because of those yeah. past successes. But, you know, they were what we needed in 2016 but they weren't what we needed in 2017 and they certainly weren't what we needed in 2020 and so i'm grateful that we got them off the team but i'm also extremely grateful that they were on while they were on
0: I love what you're saying and i think it paints the picture of we have to recognize change yeah and because because it's not nice to ignore change and let people suffer that and i i i really hit people hard with that point like if you see somebody on your team or in your company who doesn't match the job that they're assigned to do like they can't do it they don't get it they don't want it to have the they don't don't want it or they don't have the capacity to do it and you let them try anyway that is on you for knowingly let someone fail and feel bad about it and that's not good leadership. That's terrible leadership. A yeah. good leader says, I recognize that either I made a mistake by put, by giving you a job that's not the right one for you, which happens in hiring all the time. It's on me. I apologize for having to let you go and, and misleading you, but the truth is it's my fault. I put you in a job you can't be successful in. Or, to what you're saying... Things have changed, and I have to honor that. And you are not going to be successful if I don't recognize this change in the form of getting you out of a seat that you're not comfortable in and maybe moving you into a seat in the organization if I've got it. And if not, we'll get you to someplace that's a better fit. Right.
1: And and that's what happened right at the beginning of this pandemic uh, when we started working from home, and I had to pivot people that we had hired for other industries that all of a sudden those job orders or roles that we were working on disappeared overnight because there's so much uncertainty. And so when you look at, okay, 35 to 40% of our business just went away, uh, we had to say, okay, what are we gonna do? And so when we got together, we said, okay, we've got some folks that are in a division that is still thriving, um, that maybe don't adhere to the core values that that we set forth. Um, But if there wasn't a pandemic, we would keep them for sure. But because there isn't, these people adhere to the core values we know we could pivot them. Let's top grade those positions in that division that's thriving, remove the the folks that were sort of underperforming and let's, let's hit the ground running. And, and so that's what we did. And um, it's, like I said, it's unfortunate because if there wasn't coronavirus going on uh, you know, I would have had the luxury of being able to spend more time and energy developing and coaching those folks to get to get them on track because it wasn't a capacity issue it wasn't uh, a want issue it was a get it issue which you know for me that's let's do more training let's do more development let's be intentional about what the things that they're missing are and it that's on us to get it right um but i had people that could get it want it and have the capacity to do it sitting on the sideline tooling their thumbs that are you know high potential folks and we just pivoted quick and, and made some things happen
0: so let's talk about that. So, what was the role? What was the integrator role for you? Uh, particularly contrasting Jeremy as visionary. Okay, we're we're hitting the early days of the pandemic or whatever. Just talk, walk us through the story of, of how you, that unfolded for you.
1: Sure. So, you know, when when this all kind of came about, really, how I even started working at Encore Search Partners was. Uh, Jeremy knew what he was great at, right? Jeremy is—he's uh, uh, a rainmaker. He is high energy. He is high motivation. Uh, he has a marketing background. He has a great uh, eye for getting meetings and getting leads in the door. And and when he's on the phone, it's magic. The thing that he wasn 't good at is holding people accountable and so in doing so in a way that was actually actually effective at the time right with the folks that we had on the team and so one of the things that we talked about when I first came into the business was okay we 're kind of in like this money grab right now, and our hands are out here catching all this money. And what we need to do is kind of bring them together and like actually cup the money as it's falling through. So stuff doesn't fall at the bottom of the funnel. Right. And so, um,
0: (laughs) get that revolving door spinning super fast. Yes. Coming in, but where are they going?
1: And so when, when I first started, it was very much like learn the business. Okay. Now let's talk about the operations. Where, where are we having deficiencies? what, what processes could we create? What systems do we need to put in place? What checks and balances do we need to have for our producers in order to make sure they're being effective? Uh, so that kind of just started and then naturally evolves over time, uh, to where Jeremy started feeling comfortable, letting go of certain things that he was doing. Jeremy did everything right. And now, uh, you know we have clear boundaries of what people do what is jeremy's role in the process okay what is blair's role in the process what is recruiter x's role in the process what is scott's role in the process right and then we kind of explain that out over and over and over again to the team and say this is what repetition, it is right? yeah
0: so are you in charge of the repetition piece of that
1: I I am today. Um, I am actively working to hand off a lot of what I do um, back. Right once again, right before the pandemic happened, we hired an operations and training manager. Um, she was actually an internal candidate, was doing another role, um, was seeking more responsibility and more opportunity. And and we interviewed a couple of folks for the role, two internal and a couple of external candidates, and and made uh, her, the hiring decision for her and and brought her in. And so unfortunately the pandemic happened and we went to work from home two weeks after she started in the position. And so she kind of reverted back to her old role about hybrid, you know, doing about 50, 50 of that. And now I'm ready to say, okay, I need to hand stuff off and not do everything myself. Uh, I need to focus on my core competencies and give off some of the, uh, the, the, Lower level operation stuff, which sounds bad, but it's stuff that has to be done, and it's stuff that needs that that really makes an impact in the business um, to someone that I could actually trust to do it.
0: So that that probably deserves a little unpacking as well. Sure. Delegation is a critical uh, leadership skill that that has to be in place for for you to break through the ceiling, and that's something we talk about on day one of EOS implementation. And I'm but terrible delegate at it. skill. Well, that's interesting because what um, what I think this. When, when you're talking about visionary and integrator it's this very binary like um, a lot of visionaries when they run out when they hit their own personal ceiling they move from feeling smart to feeling like the worst person in the world like they very go very quickly go to like feeling like total failures uh, and then when you say like well actually visionary you're not really supposed to be good at this <laughs> there's somebody who can be the the interior yang and yeah. you find that puzzle piece individual and so it's this very binary sense of it's not like delegation it's sort of uh, it's a very much division in the middle of, yeah. of, of black and white and, and light and dark. Uh, and then now you're the integrator, and your job is sort of the chief delegator, chief accountability officer, in terms of making sure the team's obstacles are monitored, and when there is an obstacle, you sense it and you get involved. But it's, it applies just as well to you. Everybody in the organization will, at some point, if the company keeps growing, Run out of time, mm-hmm. and when you run out of time, you have to figure out like, well, I've got 120 percent things need to get done uh, with my 100 percent time, whatever that amount is. And so you have to figure out, and you figure out very quickly at 100 percent that there are things you're doing that are you're, you don't want to do and you're not good at. And so you, then you have to kind of humble yourself to like, well, what do I let go of? So how are you addressing that? How are you addressing this idea of what? To get off of your plate,
1: sure. So I'm actually uh, I put time on the calendar <laughs> to look at my desk and do the delegate and elevate exercise through EOS, and uh, that EOS gave me, I should say, and uh, and actually look at everything that's there. The problem is, is, is when you're in a small business, right? It, we're a relatively flat organization, and so there's not historically there has been zero mid level management, um, and we're starting to put that in a little bit and uh i like that for jeremy there's one throat to choke and that's mine if something goes sideways it's my fault um now what's hard for me is because we have been a small business or because we are a small business i have done you know 17 different hats i uh, you know when i look at some of my competitors they have seven people on payroll that do what i do in our business and i i don't mind it right and and i I love what I do and I love our business and I love what we've accomplished and I love my team and so I give, 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 right? But part of me growing is saying, okay, I do need to take that step back and be able to give some of my responsibilities to someone else but... There's almost there's, there's two parts of that that are hard, right? Is that as an integer, there's still a certain level of arrogance that comes with us, especially in small businesses, where we have maybe, to do a lot maybe of. Maybe lessons. just use God. I don't. It know. might just be me. That's possible. But the- <laughs> well, I, and I know
0: I give you a hard time because you're, you're, you're a confident guy because you're so you are smart and you work hard and I have worked with you in the past and I know you cool. and when you get something done, it is not accidental. Your your track record it was not a surprise to me. I know. I know to expect great things from you so i, I get that once, once you got some confidence and, and you have some some history and you guys are fast growing company and, yeah. and it's be very difficult for you to say like well what we're doing does seem to be working yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and so there's that that level of arrogance right of that and then the other side is that um the fear of letting go and um in and, in and, and i don't know letting go of control I guess is really what it is, is is I like to control things you know and I like I like to know that I've checked I've thought about all the possible outcomes and I chose the right direction to go um, but I know that if I don't feel comfortable doing that eventually we will uh, not be able to grow as much and so I know I gotta let go of some stuff, I'm working on that um, you know I have I've put a lot of thought into it, I've drawn out detailed job description and I've really looked at my desk and, and what I can offload of me. Um, and I've got some really cool, exciting things that I think that will help not only uh, keep this employee engaged because she's a phenomenal employee, um, but definitely a rising star in our organization. And so I want to make sure that I keep her engaged and excited coming to work every single day. And, and I think that doing some of the stuff that I do uh, on a daily basis will help with that.
0: Have you, have you ever taken the visionary integrator assessment? I have, yeah. Do you recall what you... Got back I
1: almost. don't know. I, I think I want to do it again though because I did it back in like 2017. I want to say
0: because what I, I I have a hypothesis and that is that you don't score sc- you don't score terribly on the visionary side. Yeah. Uh, I, so so you have the integrator skills which is super valuable and a lot of people that's it. They're like I don't want to do the vision work. But there are a lot of people who score kind of high on both and that's important to note because. Um, the dynamic isn't that people in the integrator seat can't necessarily be the visionary what the dynamic and and same thing for the visionary that it's not that they couldn't be an integrator it's that it's really 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 hard to do both at the same time Uh, because as somebody who's inwardly focused you want the vision handed to you and fed to you to fuel you that you can implement as opposed to going out and looking into the future and getting outside the organization and discovering what's going on out there because if you discover what's going on out there everything in here is a distraction to you if if you're trying in then vice versa so what i heard in you in in that control uh I don't want to let go. Uh, and, I, and I guess I know you as well. I, I would not be surprised if you have the potential to be a visionary. But what's great is you have a great visionary who can feed you the vision that makes you feel comfortable that you don't need to do that. And you can you can relax to some extent. I mean, integrators rarely relax, right? Yeah. Because they're really, really concerned about the plan going well. And that's the whole point. Uh, and sometimes the integrators are the, the highly stressed out... Uh, Less less glamorous job. I mean, uh, you know, the, the visionaries are seen a lot more uh, than than the integrators, and so you're kind of like, you know, you're below deck working on the engines, man. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the captain's out like on the dance floor, you know, champagne toast, like we're going to, you know, across the ocean. Oh, see, so saw Jer- Integrators you saw
1: Jeremy last night,
0: then. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Uh, so you're down below the deck, sweating, trying to keep the motors running, engines going, and everything's like, like you know, we got to get this boat moving. Yeah. Do you ever get any resentment for that? Any, uh, any not getting the limelight? I,
1: I don't at all. Um, you know, Jeremy gets a ton of the limelight and and things like that outside of the organization. Obviously, um, he's definitely the face of the organization. Uh, Whenever I tell someone where I work, they're like, oh, you work with Jeremy, right? It doesn't it doesn't matter where I go.
0: Uh, it's like when you're – it's like Scott's mom. Like when you're a kid, yeah. you're like, oh, you're – hey, you're Scott's mom. Uh, yeah. you're like, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you so, don't have a name. You don't have a name either. Uh, so it gets
1: a ton of that outside of the organization. Um, you know, and, and what I really love doing is I love developing people. And so inside the organization, I get a ton of um, FaceTime with all the employees. You know, I lead our quarterly town hall meetings. I uh, do a lot of the one-on-ones. I do a lot of the trainings. I do a lot of that kind of stuff internally. Um, I champion our uh, community outreach program. You know, a lot of the things that I love to do, I get to do inside the business with the people that I want to make the most impact on anyways. Uh, So I don't ever feel that resentment at all. Like, I, I really, I hate praise. I hate recognition. I hate all those things. Uh, I'd much rather get <laughs> constructive feedback. Yeah, I hate those meaningless words. I don't... I, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I said some nice things about it earlier. I'll, I'll
0: stop it that. It made me sweat. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and I have had that experience before. So that, that's interesting. And I appreciate you sharing that because I bet a lot of people out there have that have that challenge as well. Yeah. How do you deal with that, actually? Because you guys are a high-performing company. Uh, yeah. Do you just rather deflect and say, yeah, I'm just back here and it's Jeremy. It's all him. Or what do, what do you do?
1: Um, I, I like to deflect to the people a lot. You know, I do definitely want to give Jeremy a ton of praise. I think that he he does a great job of getting the praise, and and you know I want to make sure that the people that we have know how much you know I appreciate what they've done to get us there, right? You know things like we're we're nominated for best places to work. They're announcing the plate, the the ranking for that this Thursday, uh, and and I'm super excited about that. I, I think. What's funny is when you look at Jeremy and I. Jeremy is super, super excited about the Fast One Hundred list and the Inc. Five Thousand; those things, in which I am excited about too, uh, because obviously I want to grow the revenue. But the the best places to work tells a different story, right? It tells us that not only are we a high performing sales organization, but we're a sales organization with the solid culture that that people want to come to every day. And, and so that one is, is super exciting. That's the one where I feel like I make the major, major impact. I know I impact revenue. I know I, I do that. I get that. But the, the biggest impact I believe I have is on our people. And so the best places to work is something that I really pride myself on. And, 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 and I will give all my praise to my team for being honest in our quarterly engagement surveys and giving me uh, constructive criticism throughout you know so you have a sense
0: okay so that's that's a good point to go into that for you to get there Mm um I've been through this process in fact you and I have been in the trenches with that together and there are a couple ways you can get into something like the best places to work <laughs> and one of the ways is to make sure the answers that go into the survey are the answers you want them to be sure. and then the other way is to make sure you really build that culture what it needs to be which is through kind of this opposite counterintuitive approach and that is to solicit the worst possible feedback as easily as possible so you yep. get this blunt honesty yep. how, how have you guys gotten that and it sounds like like that's what you're implying. So how'd you get that blunt honesty from the team? Yeah.
1: Board? So I, about two years ago, maybe three years ago, rolled out an uh, employee engagement survey that I did at the beginning or at the end of every quarter. And then we reviewed the results in our executive offsites. Uh, and I asked the same nine questions for the first two, two and a half years of the survey. I recently... This quarter, actually, recently, last week, changed the survey <laughs> and added more questions, added more open-ended questions, less yes or no answers, hmm. uh, okay. and and sent an email to the team explaining why I did it, the purpose behind it. You know, I had this phenomenal visitor speaker that spoke on employee engagement and developing high-performing teams, and he gave me a, a lot of really good content, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, I, I want to understand more and more and more from our team of what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, uh, what they love to see from us, um, you know, any questions they have about their compensation or benefits or you name it, uh, IT, I've got a question in there for every category of the business uh, and and I want that God's honest feedback from all of them and I, and I made that crystal clear and, and so I took, I got that and normally when I get my survey results you know, it's between 25 and 35 pages long I printed off the survey results to take home to read last night and it was 65 pages. <laughs> okay. It's like, I have t- so, 20, 24 employees. Don't do this if employees. you're not ready. <laughs> it's like, how many employees? 24 employees and I have got 65 okay. pages of feedback. What in the world? Yeah, so...
0: <laughs> that's... Is that three, per, yeah, three pages a person? three pages person, yeah. Wow. So I, so there's two pieces to pull apart in that, and I, and I don't want to get too down the path of exactly w- what that survey says, because sure. I think that's important, but it's more, more important, how did you create a culture that was willing to tell you because I don't, I don't you don't do that overnight I, yeah. I, I want to say I want to say that over and over again I have as a, as a leader of my organizations and working with other companies it's so common to say I want common fe- I want direct honest feedback from my team and I can't get them to talk that's the most sure. common scenario so they're talking to you how'd you get that done um
1: so to, to be fair, I, it's not done yet, right? And so there, there's still – it's a work in progress. It's something that will continue to to change. You know, the last uh, quarterly town hall we had, I displayed all of the results from the survey, just put it all out there and gave every everything out there that was the, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, and then and, – and I think that there's a, a different element of trust that my employees have now. Uh, with me as as we continue to grow and and do these do one on ones, we've made I've made a very intentional play uh, at making the one on ones more impactful and and go a little bit deeper, not just you know professionally, but all the things that are impacting their life, and uh, and so that's been a big part of it. You know, there's just that different level of trust, and, and I think that uh, you know every every level 10 meeting that I step into when the survey is active and live is I'm making that plea. Hey, be honest, tell me what's going on. We've and, and I could list changes that we've made in our our organization mm. based yeah. off that feedback and I'm like, "Look, we didn't have employee benefits. You guys said it was important." You know, one of the questions I ask is why if hypothetically if you were going to quit tomorrow what would it be? And 6 mm. 6 of the 15 surveys at the time, we only had that many employees said for a job with benefits. It's like, okay, let me look at this. Like it was something that we never (laughs) thought of before. And so, uh, you know, six months later we rolled out a PEO for all of our employees. And so it, we're able to show tangible actions from the, the feedback that they gave us. And so uh, that's part of it, but you know, it's still a work in progress. I, I'm not going to lie and say that all my employees are a hundred percent honest and tell me everything yeah. that's going on or everything they think because they don't. And, and I'm not, I'm not a fool to think that they do, um, but, but I am working to make it better.
0: So I love the humility to counter your, your claim of arrogance. Cause you're not. Um, I do think that, um, what I'm hearing is a combination of persistence and proof yeah. so it's a, it's a work in progress you've got to keep after it the proof thing I always, I always caution people on uh, and I say like, if, if you're going to ask people what you want or what they want rather um, and you don't deliver on it you were better off not asking. Sure. Did you have any fear around your ability to execute on what they asked for, or did, did you think about that, you just went for it?
1: You know, I, I did think about it, honestly. I, I think about that a lot in, in, in this survey. There's things that people are asking for, for sure, that I'm not going to be able to do. I can't make a business case for it, and, and I'll explain why. And it's one of those things that's, hey, this is going to be on the back burner. It's something we'll continue to talk about. Please keep putting it on the survey, right, that type of deal. Um, But there are things that some people ask for that could never happen, and and that's fine. You know, we still have to make decisions that are best for the business, and and I will explain that uh, in the town halls. And, And that's one of those things where it will be explained in detail in front of the entire company it's not going to be something i try and hide behind or just pretend it wasn't in the survey uh it's something that i will head up you know directly address in that meeting and say this is what we want to do or this is what we're not going to do and here's
0: why okay that makes perfect sense so what you're saying is you get the data back and the first and foremost thing you do is is reflect it back to them we heard you yep it was not in vain and then you say of the things we heard here's where we can take action and here are the things that we cannot take action on we're going to back burn them and here's you know whatever else to talk about so you really just are giving them clarity on you heard them and here's the plan. It's not exactly what everybody wanted, but it's the plan.
1: Absolutely. And and, I'll, and I'm very intentional about putting their ideas and thoughts in, in our quarterly rocks and saying, okay, here's what we're going to address in this quarter based off the survey feedback. Here's things we're going to add to the agenda for the next executive offsite so we can see if it makes sense to add them to the, to the quarterly rocks for the next quarter. right? And and we'll keep kicking the can down the road if we have to, if there's more pressing issues within the business. But if it's something that we feel like we can address in q three, based off of revenue forecaster projections for next year, maybe it 's something we tell them that right and, and, and I have no problem saying that at this time it's it, this isn 't a no but it 's a no right now
0: yeah I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about the day in the life sure. of the integrator, and as much as we can contrast the visionary so much the better but don't don 't think too much about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's actually? You know what? Let's, let's do this in a deeper way or a, a more complex way. What was the day in the life of the integrator when you first were in that integrator function? Uh, chaos,
1: <laughs> herding cats. Beautiful. I love it. Uh, I love it. There is a lot of. Um, I've got a lot to do. Drinking from a fire hose. Where do I start? Um, I constantly, you know, I'd switch back and forth from my firefighter hat to my IT hat to my uh, whatever hat needed to be worn at that second. Um, and now I, it's changed a little bit, right? There's still some of that chaos, which I love, right? And maybe that's a little bit of my fear of letting go of some of my desk is that uh, I, I love kind of that getting to do all kinds of different things. And so a day in the life could be I'm doing collections. I'm doing, you know, I'm searching out a PEO. I am doing tech demos. I am uh, having conversations with candidates or clients. Or uh, I, I'm doing prospecting calls with with our recruiters. You know, I'm role playing. I'm doing training, developing training. I'm citing one of the 17 books that I keep behind me because I regularly use them in one-on-ones. You know, it, it, it's all over the
0: place. What percentage of your of your week or day is on the business versus in the business?
1: Um, probably about 15% of my week is on the business, and okay. the rest is really in the business. Um, I've, I have so a very tactical that? role.
0: Okay. So when you say on the business, what types of things are on the business type things for you?
1: Sure. And so... Um, we're talking about creative strategy with Jeremy, you know, I think that's okay. a lot of that is whiteboarding ideas and discussing what we want to do um, areas. We want to break into things that we, we see going on in the, in the world or in our industry, um, things like that. You know, we, we have a, we do a lot of same page meetings from that regard um, and really just best practices for business. Right. And, and taking all the data that I, consume on a daily, weekly basis and, and saying, okay, here's what I've read over the last week. I'm going to implement this in our business and here's why I think it'll actually help our business grow, et cetera, and I'll put a plan for that. And so that's the stuff that I'll do a lot. Um, and then... and Walk me through
0: the, the same page meeting. I don't want to step over sure. that because that's a huge nugget for a lot of people. Sure.
1: So, I mean, it happens in random times, random places. I mean, Saturday... This past Saturday, after Jeremy went through, uh, he had his three boys play soccer, so he went through the soccer fields on Saturday, came over to my house right after, uh, just stopped in just to say hi, and we talked on the couch for probably an hour, hour and a half about the business and, and what we're what we're working towards, and what individual people are doing, and, and ideas that we had that we want to talk about in our offsite, and and really just making sure that him and I are in agreement on those topics, and and he, you know, it's funny is is Jeremy's got a really great idea that he wants to bring up. He's like, I'm going to bring this up if it's okay with you right and the, just that humility from the visionary to say okay jeremy your job is to bring these ideas to the meeting like that's fine like don't, don't ever ask you if it's okay with me. of course it's okay with me it's it's your damn meeting right
0: well there's uh, a lot of respect there right so that's that's not worth or that is worth highlighting sure uh he is showing you that respect and you know he could say i'm bringing it yeah and, and but he, he really wants to make sure that you, you you've you got your support, so that's powerful. Yeah,
1: and so so the, those can happen there. You know, just a random Saturday afternoon, we get together, and it could be an intentional lunch where it's like, hey, we got to talk about these things, and uh, and we we do that often. You know, it's not something that that Jeremy and I ever shy away from. You know, we like having those conversations, and we like. Picking apart ideas, or I really like it. I love playing devil's advocate. It's something that I'm uh, fortunately or unfortunately good at. It depends on who you ask. Um, but it is, it is one of my, my strong suits, and so we have a really good time doing that stuff.
0: So the devil's advocacy kind of fits into the question I was going to go to in a minute, which is about the puzzle piece, sure. which means that the visionary is a unique shaped creature. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, the, and an integrator is something we describe in very um, common terms, like they're all the same. But the reality is the integrator has to match the visionary. So... Mm-hmm. When you say devil's advocacy, that's part of the oh you got to have the push and pull, got to have the friction. But for a lot of people, that's a it's a street fight, and it's not fun and it's not good. Yeah. And for other people, it's a very healthy conversation. Yeah. Uh, did that evolve for you? Do you do you? Is it just a certain match? You guys had a certain chemistry. How did how do you get that that healthy conflict? How did you cultivate
1: that? Yeah, I, I've, we definitely had a chemistry from the beginning, right? That's the reason why we started working together uh, in the first place. You know, we met through Vistage and and discovered that we had a lot in common. In in a mutual respect for one another. And, you know, I think that the devil's advocacy on both sides comes from that mutual respect, right? And if you don't have that mutual respect, then uh, that's when it becomes a street fight, in my opinion. Uh, You know, I think that there's times where, you know, where Jeremy and I do kind of maybe have an argument that gets off the rails a bit, and it's because one of us has... uh, a a stronger belief that we know better or more about that topic than the other uh and then we take that step back and say no like we we respect each other let's get back together let's have this logical conversation right and so um you know i think that that it is it is a fight but there was a definite chemistry at the beginning uh and then that has grown over time right and jeremy and i Have obviously we're great friends. We've always been best friends since the day I stepped foot in this building, Uh, and and so there's that as well. Um, You know, we're we're very close with each other's families and things like that, and so um, I don't know. It's almost like a brotherly relationship then. Uh, visionary integrator relationship at
0: the end of the day. <laughs> but depending on the people listening, that might be a good image that might be a terrible yeah, image it's possible Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, it works for us
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> got each other's back yeah so uh, how does how does um, how is the power an authority of the the position evolves. So, what do you have right now in terms of power, authority, ability to fire, make decisions, stop and start projects? What do you have today? A lot.
1: <laughs> All. I don't. I don't know how to answer that. Really. Um, you know. I think that
0: that's good. I mean, that's actually a lot. You, you've sent a big, big message to a lot of listeners. I know who, who are really struggling with how to how to see this and, yeah. and the empowerment piece of the integrator function is very scary yeah. for. Um, visionary who's entering that so take us back to day one how so, much power did you have on day one
1: very little right i, I didn't have any direct reports when i first started um, i kind of had this um VP of something title, right? Um, <laughs> hey, I haven't had that title. <laughs> yeah. It's a
0: pretty good t- It's a fun title it, for, it uh, for a while. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it is. Uh, it was very much like a what do I do with my hand situation, right? Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, it, and then it, it really, you know, it evolved drastically over time and it, it became clearer and clearer. Then it kind of got broad again and then it got clear. Um, but, you know as far as firing you know i have uh, definitely extreme autonomy there um from hiring we have a very rigorous process that we go through with our our leadership team um for the interview process and so you know there's not like any one of us necessarily hires we we try and have equal votes on that and we talk about why or why not um just to make sure that we're all on the same page there um, but, you know, I have a lot when it comes to processes and procedures. I have a, a lot of autonomy, you know. And I, but but here's, here's the deal. At the end of the day, I run just about everything by Jeremy, not for a stamp of approval, but just to make sure that I'm not missing anything. Right? And, yeah. and, and so there's things that I'll do. I'll run all the meetings on my own, and I'll come back and say, okay, here's what I think, and here's why I think it, and poke holes. Right, and and that's that. Once again, just that level of respect that we have with each other. That I know I can miss something. I don't, I, I don't think that I'm perfect, or I don't think that I know it all. And, and and he's the same way, right? He'll he'll say, here's here's this great tool I just saw, and I, and I want to try it. And here's why I want to try it. And here's how much it costs. And what do you think? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like it's a good idea. And if it works, it's great. We'll make a ton of money on this. And if it doesn't, we're not losing a lot. So it sounds like a win-win for me, right? And,
0: so that, tr- that that trust and that chemistry. I think you guys are pretty top tier, top percentile in terms of that electricity. Because I know you guys separately and it was seemed to be like an instant kind of connection for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, how long did it take you to earn that trust on his part and for you to get comfortable equally both sides of the same coin sure. to go from kind of like day one chaos no power no people to like yeah, i think i'm an integrator now yeah you know
1: was that a two-month
0: <laughs> process a year process probably
1: six months i think that okay. I, I think i worked here for six months before i got my first promotion to senior vice president uh, and that's when i really started taking on the operations responsibilities uh, and, but, it, you know, when I walked in the door, right, it's not like I had any recruiting experience. We had recruiters that had worked for giant recruiting firms, that had worked for corporate in-house recruiting teams. Uh, we had all these people with a ton of experience in the industry. Um, and so for me walking in and saying, hey, I'm your boss and I know nothing about what you do, but I can do this, I promise, right? It was kind of that situation. So I had to prove and, and earn earn that trust and respect from not only... Jeremy, but it's also, I wanted to make sure that the employees also knew that, you know, what I brought to the table without any recruiting experience.
0: Yeah. Uh, did they have skepticism at first? Definitely. Yeah. How and, did you discover that?
1: Uh, you know, when when I started putting processes and procedures in and people started pushing back or not wanting to do it, it's the classic, you um, legacy salesperson that doesn't want to put stuff in the crm right it's like that's that's the, the thing that happened right that was the first kind of pushback and then a little pushback and then then i rolled out scorecard and it's like what you're looking at my calls what you're looking at my submittals what you're looking at this like why are you looking at this it doesn't make sense like no one's ever told me this before and and once i started putting those things in then it, it was just evident that these people weren't Rowing the boat in the right direction, right? And, but we didn't know really what direction that was kind of going at the time. And and then once we put in EOS, and those are the those are the three of the four people that that were literally within the first six months of, of implementing EOS were gone. Were those people? So
0: did you find yourself in that integrator's seat before you started rolling out EOS? Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: We didn't know what it was really. I mean, I, obviously, <laughs> I knew the term because I'd read the the, the I'd read Rocket Fuel and I'd read um, what the heck is EOS, and I'd read you know. Uh, Traction, traction right the the main one <laughs> yeah. and so i i had known what the titles were but i didn't really know at the time what i was what that role meant for me
0: and so i okay, guess yeah, so you got some things bouncing around and you're getting more and more responsibility and then you decide to roll the system out and then and then it kind of lays out like we talked about earlier sure. um there's some data yeah and it's like then you got to – because the way I describe it, so I've, I've worked with some companies where we implement EOS, and it's like, okay, I think we're sick. Okay, well, like how sick? Well, I don't know. Uh, well, you, I think if we put in EOS, we can diagnose and, and find the disease and, and cure it. Oh, that sounds great. And so we put together a microscope, you know, metaphorically. And we yeah. put a, put the slide under. We've done a little biopsy on your situation. And, and uh, oh, it looks like you've got cancer. Yeah. And a lot of companies sort of go like, uh do you have another microscope i don't like that yeah. <laughs> you know and it's like well no that microscope's not the problem <laughs> it's it's you actually have business cancer and uh and you gotta solve that if you want to get healthy and i do see leadership teams who just want to pretend that the, it's the wrong question and yeah. and so but you guys clearly were like oh well we might have cultural cancer yeah. uh let's do surgery And uh, let's make sure we get this behind us. And that's a bold, it's a bold reaction and it takes real leadership to do that.
1: What's funny is EOS, when you first roll out EOS, it's for two reasons, right? One, you know, you have a big problem or two, you believe your own bullshit, right? And you think you're great. And, and for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened. And, and rolling out EOS helps you identify why it hasn't happened. and, And rolling out EOS helped us figure out what, what, where we were sick. Right. And, and it's like, we weren't losing money. We were making money. We were having experiencing year over year growth. It was at a lower rate, but we're still growing, right? So, it, but when we put in EOS, it was literally l- the like the book says rocket fuel for our business. Yeah. And, and so, uh, it, it's interesting to see you know w- once people roll it out, what happens.
0: Well, not to say something nice about you again. I'm going to try to stop it. Yeah, please do. The, the book rocket fuel, Mark's uh, Mark's whole phrase comes from the his observation of seeing the the com- combination of the visionary and the integrator is the rocket fuel. Sure. Cuz I e- EOS does a great job of uh, highlighting opportunities and obstacles in creating clarity uh, one of the places that I see companies get stuck more than any other place is okay we've built our structure and we need the integrator obviously and I don't know what that is and it scares me and never let's kick that down the road. And so you leave either someone who's the wrong person for the integrator seat in place, or you have the visionary trying to do that job less than perfectly, and that is by far, in my personal experience, the number one most constraining, suffocating failure to act on. Uh, And so your rocket fuel comes from having the right rocket fuel combination of visionary and integrator that then can embrace the data and the right people in the right seats and all the processes and all those things, because you've got the right leadership and the ability to execute, frankly, to be able to listen well, see what's going on and take action.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that where, where people fail at, at at us or fail at anything in business is not having someone that is willing to have the tough conversations or even excited about the tough conversations. Um, and, and when you have a team, especially a leadership team that, um, you know, doesn't have trust. You know, that's something that when when you look at Lencioni's uh, five dysfunctions of a team, right? We, we go through that pyramid on a regular basis to make sure that we're adhering to the and, and we're not we're not dysfunctional. Uh, and uh, you know, accountability is a big part of EOS, and accountability is a big part of the integrator role. And without that, um, we would definitely fail, of course. But you know, oftentimes the uh, visionaries just aren't excited about accountability you know they have a ton of really really great ideas and they're really really excited about them and they're really really happy to to roll them out um, but not very excited about what comes next and so making sure <laughs> yeah, that that there's right. a clear path to accountability whether it's the integrator or someone else on the team um, being accountable for each action that we roll out
0: well two things come to mind one is that uh, when i see you because we've talked an awful lot about EOS here sure. and, and and obviously that's my world but it's not we don't on the podcast we don't obsess about it yeah. like some podcast many podcasts we don't talk about it at all yeah. but we've talked about it a lot here and, and that a flag went in my brain and, and um, when I work with new integrators. They say, I'm new to this. I'm not sure what I need to do uh, to really be great as an integrator. I feel like I'm growing and I'm up for the challenge, but I've got a lot to learn. And I, I've learned, that. well, here's your manual. It's called Traction. Yep. This is your language. This is your tool set. And I, and I, I think the podcast, this interview has really reinforce that. Like your go to language of how do you get what you want out of your out of your life and your job is right there in the book. You know, this yeah. is what I need to do. This is the tool. Everything I need to be as an integrator is right in this book. Yeah.
1: And that's the thing is it's not just right in the book for the first time, right? And so what happened <laughs> for me is I read a US before well, a long time ago or read Traction I'm sorry a long time ago and then yeah. I started in the business and then I read it again right before we started rolling out of US before our first quarterly offsite all that, or, or strategic uh, planning session I read the book again uh, and then I've read it now five other times or six other yeah. times since then and I still take little nuggets away because it means something different now it's like when there's little pieces of like the level 10 meeting that you think, okay, let me roll this level 10 meeting out. You roll out pieces at a time oftentimes because you can't cram stuff down people's throat. And so there's kind of a slow rollout process to make sure everyone understands and buys in and appreciates it. And then there's pieces that are like, Oh, well I could have included this in there and let me now add this in and let me now add this in and it's stuff that, I didn't fully understand the first time I read the book, and so when I've gone back and read it, and I've probably listened to it fourteen or fifteen times on Blinkist, and gotten gotten the book again in thirteen <laughs> minutes, right? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've really I've taken that one, no uh, I've taken so much out of this book and, and reapplied it on the fourth or fifth time of reading it, and 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 for me, you know, I talk about EOS a lot, whether it's here in my Vistage group in. Even in my uh, men's life church group, I talk about EOS, and, and you as an integrator, it's like you eat, breathe, and sleep EOS because it's what we have to do to keep the wheels in the bus, and it's become such a big part of my life. And. And I read every single Friday when that article comes out, the EOS newsletter or whatever it is on Fridays. I saw you were in there recently talking about scorecards. Uh, And and when I read that every single Friday, I go back and look at my toolkit inside my my SharePoint folder and say, okay, what am I not implementing that I could pull from this toolbox, right? And and I just look at it all the time. And and that's just the only way that I think you could be successful is you're constantly sharpening the saw.
0: Yeah, so I Cameron Harrell pointed out on one of the early podcasts that uh, you know, people will come up to him and say, Oh, I love good grade or I love this book in school, oh, are you using it? And it's like, Well, no, I read it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Well then why why are you saying you love it? Because there's no point. It's like, you know, what's the point of that? And I I think that is a huge factor of EOS because the way the process is laid out is um, we're, it's not about reading a concept and yeah. a, a tip or trick, and, and, and sort of like suddenly you're fixed. Um, it's about a cycle of repetition and increasing your competency with a you know a, a handful of um, simple tools that when you get good at them yeah. uh, start to make a difference. Like if you learn to fight uh, in um, in martial arts, you know you learn to punch on like day one. You learn to kick on like day three, yeah. uh, and and there's and after that, you know. It's still punching and kicking and maybe throwing, right? right. <laughs> and so that's not fighting. Yeah. You got to you got to practice over and over again. And EOS is just like that. Uh, and even I read I reread the books myself, and I go back to these simple tools. And I guess the, the the contrast to that is how I used to be personally, and a lot of people still are. It's the flavor of the month. It's yeah. like you know I'm trying to I, I got to learn one more new thing. Yeah. And what I'm finding is that no, almost all the entrepreneurs I work with are already plenty trained, yeah. got plenty of information. If you just took a system, a, a handful of tools that were going to cover what you needed, and you just used them until they worked, you would get everything you wanted out of your business. So what's funny is,
1: I, you hit the nail on with the flavor of the month type deal. I, I hate these tips and tricks events, right? These webinars, these uh, these meetings that people have, uh, networking groups that bring in speakers and are like, I'm going to give you five tips to make your business better today. And, and the thing, everyone loves those little catchy things, right? Like I've got something, I'm going to take this and then you get the handout that you get leave the event with and you throw it in a filing cabinet or you throw it in the trash can or leave it in your car and you never actually look at that stuff again. Right, the thing of that I love about traction is is that it's the foundations. It's not just the tips or tricks. It's not if you don't understand the foundations, the tips and tricks don't mean shit. Right? Like we've been through. Exactly. Like you and I obviously have been through Sandler Sales Training together. Right. We start in foundations for a reason. Right. You have to understand the foundations of sales, just like in martial arts. Like you said, you start with throwing a, a, a correct punch. Not just yeah. throwing a punch. It's the correct <laughs> yeah. punch. And and if you didn't know martial arts, you wouldn't know that there's a correct and incorrect punch, right? Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And, and that's how business is and that's what traction is for, for me in the business is this is the foundations. And then now I could sprinkle in the tips and tricks from emotional intelligence or or the five dysfunctions of a team and I could all these little tips and tricks along the way I could now sprinkle into the business because I have a foundation for it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well look man, I um We've covered a lot of ground, and I, I know <laughs> I, I never try to like break records on duration. So I, th- I think we've really covered a lot. I'm, I'm happy to kind of wind this down. Uh, sometimes you're about to say something, or I'm about to say something that'll go another thirty or forty five minutes, <laughs> and if that's the case. It's fine, but um, I, you know I don't want to dilute the content. What, what do you? Anything you want to share with either visionaries who are looking to hire the integrator and kind of on the ledge, or? new integrators who were trying to figure out their role anything you want to share specifically in either of those buckets sure
1: so i'm going to start with the integrators right so one of the things that that i learned early was the importance of reading and learning right it's it's obviously it's important to continue to to grow your skill set the thing that i hear so many people talk about it and it's beyond frustrating for me it's like i read a book a week on what <laughs> right why, why are you reading a book a week and, and one of the things that I really love is targeted reading. And it's something that has really made an impact in, on me and it, on my business in particular. Because if I'm struggling with a certain thing, I will go like deep dive into that topic. And I'll read one, two, or three books on that topic. And I'll be able to take stuff and build an action plan and actually implement the things that I read. Right? But people that just read a book on strategy one day and read a book on communication one day and read a book on uh, accountability one day and read a book on emotional intelligence one day and they keep reading and reading and reading 75 different business topics, they don't actually apply any of it because they don't really understand it. right? And so one of the things that, that I love is when people do that targeted reading and I want to perfect the uh, teamwork of my team. Okay, now I'm going to read a bunch of books on teamwork, and we're going to start coming up with strategies on how we can improve this teamwork together, right? And I'm going to enroll other people in the business on this as well. And so that's something that I, that I think that too many integrators get bogged down with. I'm going to listen to every single podcast. I'm going to listen to every single book. I'm going to read every book, whatever it may be. I'm going to go to all these different seminars. I'm going to get all the tips and tricks in, in the world yeah. and do nothing with it. Right. It's a
0: breadth strategy instead of a depth strategy. Correct. And so, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I experienced that. I feel a lot of pressure as somebody who's supposed to be an advisor on like a very broad set of leadership sure. topics. That if anybody mentions a book that I've not read, I feel bad. I just feel I just I just feel stupid and and, and I'm not up to date. Like, have oh, I got to add that to my list. And there's like 150 books on my on my not read yet uh, book list. Right. Uh, but I have found the opposite to be true. Like if I'm really passionate about a specific subject. Uh, sleep was actually the last one I got really obsessed with. Mm-hmm. I read four books on the, yep. and not short books and by, and you know what I know a lot about sleep <laughs> and it made a huge difference. It yep. made a huge difference as opposed to trying things. I really was able to pull together some sense of foundation so I, I love that you said that that's a big that's a big deal
1: yeah and then and then on the topic of uh, visionaries wanting to hire integrators or, or getting ready to hire an integrator, you know I really encourage them to look at the things that they don't do well and that they want to hand off and make sure that they find someone that is a good complementary skill set um and and really look at themselves in the mirror and make sure that they're ready to have pushback you know there's so many people that that have such a short temperament. And I've seen several business owners in our market that have been either in my vintage groups or in other networking groups that I'm a part of or sit on other boards with me. And we're just talking casual conversations about their team. And they're like, Yeah, I just hired this guy. He's going to be my Scott. And I'm like, That's awesome. Let, let me, what, what does he do? What is?" He and, and he's just, he's like, Well, he's going to roll out this and he's going to roll out this and he's going to roll out this. And he, he jumps in and starts doing it. And the, he gets fired 30 days in. And I'm like, Wait. That's not your Scott, then. Like, what happened? Scott doesn't <laughs> get fired in 30 days. Uh, what happened here? And, and he's like, well... Real Scott
0: does not get fired in 30 days. And he tells me, he's like,
1: well, he made all these changes, and he pissed off all my salespeople, and they were all ready to walk out. And I was like, okay, so he was doing his job, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I heard, right? And, and, uh, and they're like, no, that's not his job. And I'm like, well, I mean, obviously, there's a tactful way to go about doing things, but but he was making positive change, right? Yes. He was doing what you said he was going to do, right? Yes. Okay, so why didn't you let him do it? Uh, well, you know, I'm one of the top sales guys that he was pissing off. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, okay, well, now we're getting somewhere, right? And so that's that's something that is hard. It's like when you're an integrator, the visionary really has to realize that they have a boss now. You know, it's like they fit in on this accountability chart and they have to be held accountable to that role in the accountability chart. And in a small business, in particular, which these companies I'm referencing were, were smaller businesses, uh, the the visionaries are oftentimes the top producer in their business. They're, they have historically been the rainmaker um, that feeds their team. And so, um, you know, if they're not ready to, to to be accountable to the integrator who is responsible for making sure the sales processes and in, in, in sales growth strategy are being implemented, if they're not willing to to report to that person. They're not ready to have an integrator.
0: So, I want to unpack that a bit, lest some people misunderstand. Because, how you, the, it's not that the integrator suddenly has emotional authority over the organization, Correct. you don't follow their whims. What the integrator's job is, is enforcing and fulfilling the plan on the VTO that the leadership team co-built, sure. including the visionary. Yep. So the visionary said, this is the plan, and it's your job, integrator, to get that done. And so that's that's the authority we're talking about, the greater good. We've agreed on a plan, and the integrator's job is to get the obstacles out of the way to making the plan real. Correct. And if the visionary is resistant to that, there's problems. It's not that that the integrator suddenly starts to, you know make random w- w- at a whim because that's an integrator usually not interested in doing that an yeah. integrator usually not interested in improvising they're usually they, well, they want the plan they want it to not change they want to have the goals and they want to go to work and they want to get all those obstacles out of the way to make the plan as discussed as agreed come to life and feel like we won because the game plan that we described came true yeah that's winning for most people. And I've been calling the shot, making it happen.
1: I've been beating into my people's head, whether it's it, my newest higher entry-level employee to seasoned vets on the team. You know, I've been talking to them about focus, 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 focus. And, and what focus means is follow one course until successful. And if they do that, then they will find success. We, we've proven it. And so... Uh, that's what I want to do as the integrators to make sure that the team has focus and, and including the visionary. And, and, and Jeremy will be the first to tell anyone that uh, Scott's everyone's boss, including mine. right? And, and he says that yep. all the time. We're literally getting on a call with an EO member uh, sometime this week where we're talking about them wanting to uh, look at potentially hiring an integrator. And uh, he's like, hey, Jeremy, he reached out to Jeremy directly and said, hey, I want to have this call. I'll talk about it with you. And he said, I'm going to get Scott on the call as well. He's my president as well as my integrator here in the business. And he's everyone's boss on the team, including mine. Literally in the email to another uh, entrepreneur CEO here in Houston. So, uh, you know, that level of respect is important um, for the team to see. But, it, you know, obviously it's important to me as well to know that when there's Jeremy's in those roles, that he does have to answer for, for the tasks that he's doing. And and obviously for me, I'm ultimately accountable to him to making sure that we're hitting our profitability targets we're hitting our revenue growth targets and we have the right people in the right seat on the bus.
0: Well, there's a lot in there. I mean, and I don't, I don't think we even have time to unpack all of that because it's, we know that, well, you guys, you're an owner, so you have a certain board of directory... I assume. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't even, organization wide, if you're, if you as an integrator owner or not, it doesn't matter that the objective is the plan we've agreed on. And if the visionary is the only owner and the visionary says, like, he's my boss, you know, we know that he can say, like, F this. That's that, the big red button is always there. But it's a, but why would you do that? And that is that we know that the biggest threat to any visionary's idea, is the visionary's next idea. So we're trying to put a process in place that produces good, consistent results. And we want to... We, the visionary asks for it. The visionary wants it. The visionary wants to be coached. The visionary wants to be their best. And they know that not every habit they have is really serving them well. And by bringing a yin to the yang in the form of an integrator, uh, you're purposefully taking off some of the the, the patterns and behaviors that, that don't serve the organization. And everybody's happier for it. And you, and you see a guy like Jeremy who's got plenty of passion, willingly giving up some power because he knows he gets a better life as a result of it.
1: Absolutely. And and you know, speaking of the shiny objects, that, that, that next idea for a visionary, What's great about our business and what's great about Jeremy is that Jeremy's hands-on. He'll jump in and do stuff. He's not afraid to do the work. And he jumps in oftentimes with a new idea, and he'll pilot it himself. right? And so it doesn't change the direction of the whole boat. It changes a little bit of his focus and attention. Uh, but everyone else is still rowing in the right direction. And then right. once it's once it's something that we can actually roll out to the masses... Or, or, hire somebody, or transfer someone into this role, um, then we'll we'll have a, a true plan for that. But, uh, you know, if a visionary is going to have a lot of ideas or chase shiny objects, it's important that um, they don't distract the rest of the organization from what they're trying to accomplish, which is that core focus.
0: Yeah, that's awesome stuff. Well, look, man, I want to I want to end the point or uh, end the end this topic. It's super solid. We shared so much. To to bring it home, what is your passionate plea for entrepreneurs right now?
1: My passionate plea for entrepreneurs is really discover uh, what your business stands for and what you want, and really be aggressive and intentional about achieving that, not accepting mediocrity in any step of the process.
0: Setting the bar high. Yep, that's awesome. So. Yeah. I appreciate everything you shared, Scott. Such great wisdom. We'll, we'll make sure we get this in the hands of everybody, all of the integrators, visionaries, who are, are trying to reach mastery with this topic because it's so powerful, and I think your success is such a great model for people. And so that's it for today. So as a reminder to everybody, please subscribe, share with your friends, give us the feedback, good and bad. Happy to happy to see, get the bad or, or at least constructive uh, feedback so we can make this better. But please make sure we get this in the hands of the people who need this because it's valuable content for those people who are looking for it. Uh, and we will see you next time on Your Doing It Wrong with me, Mark Henderson Leary.
1: This is Your Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to Lyric.cc.